All right. Well, welcome, Hub City. Uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet earlier today, uh, as Pastor Sean said, my name is Josh, and I am one of the pastors at Stanwood Foursquare Church. Uh, a little bit about me is I get to work with our middle school students, who I genuinely believe are some of the coolest people in the world. Uh, I also get to assist Pastor Tim with many other uh, things on staff as well. Uh, today I've come with my beautiful wife, Kayla, and our two daughters, Avery and Wrigley. And if you're thinking, wow, Wrigley, that's an interesting name. I'm also a huge Cub fan, and yes, I did name her after the Chicago Cubs baseball stadium. So, And then we also found out that we are going to be expecting our third daughter on the 4th of July, which I think is pretty amazing, so we're super excited about that. But all that to say, I'm a little outnumbered at home, so you can pray for me, but know that I would not trade it for anything at all. Now, when Pastor Sean approached me about being with you today, he said that I could bring uh, whatever it was that was on my heart. And the thing that kept coming back to my mind over and over again was this idea of being thankful. Now, if you are anything like me, You've found over the last year and a half, I found it myself and I found it in others, that it is so easy to talk about the things that frustrate us, the things that are annoying and the things that we wish that could be different. But the thing that always gets placed on the back burner is this idea of being thankful. And I believe that God has created us to be a thankful people. He created us to have an attitude of gratitude. Say that with me. He created us to have an attitude of gratitude. So what I want to do today to kind of set the tone for all of us is I want us to come up with some things that we are thankful for. It is so easy to focus on the negative and the hard things that are going on in our life, but as followers of Jesus, we are called to be a thankful people. And sometimes we have to force ourselves to be thankful. We see this in the Psalms, David commanding his soul to rejoice. So let's hear some of the things today. What are some things that we are thankful for? Just shout them out. Food, Food absolutely. <laughs> Family, yes. Love of our Lord, absolutely. I see you guys like Easter, that looked like a party. We can be thankful for the amazing things that happened there. All of these things are great. And one of the verses uh, that's kind of a theme verse to being thankful is found in 1 Thessalonians. And if you are having any trouble today where you find yourself just struggling to be thankful, I would encourage you, commit this verse to memory. Let it be God's word to you this morning. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. This is how God wants us to live all the time. Us being thankful, this is not based on our circumstances or is determined by what's going on in our life at the moment. It says, Thank God no matter what happens. And as I was thinking about speaking on being thankful, for me it was very easy to come up with this idea of being thankful for family as Kayla and I are about to add to our own. 
But being thankful for family is something that can be a little tricky. Because for some of us, we think of family and it's some of our greatest memories that we have. Some of our greatest victories, our greatest joys center around thinking of family. But unfortunately, the opposite is also true. For some of us, when we think of family, we think of some of the deepest hurts and the deepest regrets that we've ever experienced in our lives. But as followers of Jesus, whichever side we find ourselves on there, we also know that the thing that we have in common is that we belong to another family. We belong to God's family. And that is something that we can all be thankful for. A little bit more about me. Uh, over A little over two years ago, Kayla and I were expecting the birth of our second daughter, uh, Wrigley. We were so excited. The day had come, and we start driving to the hospital. And there was this anticipation because we knew that we were driving to the hospital as a family of three, but we would leave as a family of four. We get to the hospital, and they were so busy. Uh, it took forever for them to get a room for us ready to go so that by the time they said, okay, your room is ready to go, let's get in the elevator and head down, my wife was in full-blown labor. I'm watching her as we're going down a couple floors, grabbing onto the handles in the elevator saying, Lord, help me. So for all of you ladies in the room, know that you are superheroes. Don't let anyone tell you differently. But anyways, we get to the room, and then uh, one of the most difficult things that I experienced uh, as a husband happened. She, my wife started to say, okay, epidural time, let's get that going. I don't want to feel this anymore. And then uh, the anesthesiologist came in, and he told me something. He's like, all right, here's what I need you to do. You need to sit in front of your wife and do absolutely nothing while I get this ready to go. And so I just had to sit in front of my wife watch her in the most pain I've ever seen her in, and do nothing. The other reason that this was very hard is I have this thing with needles. Me and needles, like, it's not good. Like, I began to turn that special color of white, you know, when you're about to, you know, hit the ground. And the nurse begins to see this. She says, uh, sir, you might want to go lay down before you fall down. And I was like, okay, I can do that, no problem. So I go, I lay down, uh, fast forward 15 minutes, I've collected myself, the needles are gone, so things are looking up, and then our doctor uh, makes his way there, he enters the room, and he is one of our uh, family friends, and he looks at me and he says, hey Josh, do you want to deliver your baby girl? And I'm like, this is going to be incredible, this is going to be one of the coolest experiences ever, but then out of the corner of my eye, I see this nurse and she's looking just with absolute terror in her. I was like, this guy just about fainted. This is not a good idea. But whatever the case, doctor didn't listen to her. I got gowned up, and I was able to deliver my baby girl, Wrigley. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do. And Kayla and I were instantly in love. She was instantly part of our family, but... She was also 100% helpless. You see, in the coming hours, she poops, she pees, she spits up, and I'm having to deal with all of her mess. But that didn't make her any less part of our family. 
I didn't hand her back to the doctor and say, okay, look, until she's potty trained, until she stops spitting up everywhere, you know, until she kind of has her stuff under control, then I'll be her dad, but not until then. Of course not. She became part of our family because first we loved her. It didn't have anything to do with having her stuff under control. Now, we're going to be in Ephesians today, and Paul is going to say something similar when it comes to being part of God's family. So we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are a part of God's family because first he loved us. We get to belong before we behave. Many of us can think that God loves us based on our performance. Some of us may think, God will only love me when I have my stuff under control. But that is not the case. God loves us because of who we are. We are his children. We are his creation. And over time, we begin to develop those characteristics that we see that make us uniquely part of his family. Story I have that kind of explains that a little more is uh, we know that we've all seen uh, a family who uh, you just see them and just by the way they carry themselves, you're like, oh, yeah, they're a part of that family. Like, I know exactly who their relatives are just because they have those just traits that make them a family. Now, I'm married, as I said, to my wife, Kayla, and she is unique, and there is not another person like her. However, uh, she does have a sister who many would say that they are twins, that they look exactly the same. And there's no doubt whatsoever that they are sisters. They look alike. Uh, they walk the same way. They just have those unique character traits that make them family. And a funny story, on one Sunday morning, uh, my sister-in-law, Callan, and her husband, Michael, come to church, and uh, they come in, they sit down, they're worshiping together, and then Michael has his arm around his wife, Callan. Totally great, it's awesome, except for some of my youth students have mistaken Callan for my wife, Kayla. <laughs> and they... They come to me in a huff, like, all ready to go. They're like, Josh, somebody is putting the moves on your wife. What are we going to do about it? <laughs> and I'm instantly laughing because I know that they have mistaken Callan for my wife, Kayla. So when I take them up and I show, I show them the two sisters after service, they were shocked because of how similar the sisters looked, walked, and carried themselves. They just had those noticeable character traits, those family markers that made them family. And now what Paul is going to tell us is, here are some things that will mark us as being part of God's family and some things that will not mark us as being part of his family. In verse 3 it says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
Paul is telling us here that when we become part of God's family, there are certain unique traits that mark us as being part of his family. And one of them is being a thankful people. This marks us as being part of God's family. Now, one of the other things that we need to understand about God is that God doesn't want things from us. He wants things for us. So when we read this list, we can see these things that he's saying like greed, sexual impurity, coarse joking. These are not going to be recognizable traits of my family. He tells us this because he doesn't want, not because he wants to destroy our joy, but because he wants the best for us. Paul continues in verse 5. He says, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Remember, we are remembering that God wants something for us and not from us. And we, when we look at this list of things, we must trust not only that he wants something for us, but also we need to trust that God knows better for us than we know for ourselves. When we sin, do we think sometimes that like God is sitting up there being like, oh no, they've hurt my feelings again. What am I going to do? No. When we sin, we hurt ourselves and we hurt those around us. When we do things such as lie, gossip, infidelity, all these things that were talked about, we break trust with those that we love and there are consequences. And sometimes very intense, painful road back to regain trust and restore our relationships. So when God is saying, don't do these things, these aren't a part of our family, of God's family. He is trying to protect us from the pain and the suffering and the consequences that come along with making these decisions. Now, he continues again, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. You see, when we become part of God's family, we become his children. It says we become children of the light. We've seen this played out in any good movie from the beginning of time. There is light and there is darkness. There is good and there is evil. It says when we are children of God, children of the light, the choices that we make will produce fruit, good or bad. And Paul is saying that we can live in darkness, but if we do, the fruit that we will produce will be destructive and cause harm to ourselves and those around us. But the reverse is also true. The reverse is when we live in the light, we produce fruit that is helpful, that is beneficial, and that it grows others around us. 
Paul uses uh, this illustration uh, of fruit. And the only thing that I can kind of compare it to is how many of you have ever experienced just a perfectly, like a perfect steak? Raise hands. Anybody just had that, that perfect steak? When you sit down, you know that this has been perfectly marinated. It has been cooked to a beautiful, medium, rare. There is, it is juicy. You bite into it, and you're like, I now know what heaven must be like. <laughs> but it can also be the other way. You sit down, and you think that you are going to experience this piece of heaven. But when you cut into it, and you take the bite, you realize... Whoever did this has no idea what they were doing. <laughs> the marinade has been burnt off. There is no juice to this whatsoever. I might as well have eaten at McDonald's than whatever this was. But what Paul is saying is that when we encounter people being children of God, they should taste the flavor of God himself. They should taste the flavor of God himself. When we have an interaction, they should leave better because they have been with someone who produces the fruit, the life, the love of Jesus. This is why Jesus was so critical of the religious leaders of his day. They were so concerned about how things looked on the outside, but did not care much for what happened on the inside. And as children of God, we want to be people that produce that good fruit, those recognizable traits of being part of God's family. Paul continues on in verse 11. He says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What Paul is saying here is that we all have things that we regret. We all have things that we've done. We have all sinned. But sometimes we keep them, we keep those things in the darkness. But as we bring them to light, God can begin to heal. He can begin to restore. And he can begin to set us free. But this cannot happen as long as we keep things hidden in the darkness. One of the great things uh, that I look forward to every Wednesday night uh, is when we get together with our middle school students and have youth group. Uh, there's just something about being around uh, young people who love to have fun and learn about Jesus. If you don't believe me, you can ask Pastor Tyler, and I'm sure he would love to tell you all about how amazing it is to be around youth. And at youth group, I have one kid there, and he is he's one of those life of the party. We've all met someone like that. They enter the room, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, the party can now begin because he is the party. And he's the one that, like, he's always volunteering and participating in the games. He's always actively worshiping. And then when it comes to teaching time, he's sitting there taking notes, trying to learn all that he can about Jesus. But several weeks ago, I noticed something different about him. 
His energy was gone, and it looked as though he was carrying a weight, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. For several weeks, this happened until finally he came back during a prayer response time, and he said to me, he's like, he's like, Josh, I have to confess something. Two weeks ago, no, it was, uh, three weeks ago when I was at youth group, I took something that did not belong to me. Now, it turned out in this case that it was a box of candy, but he was in middle school. It might seem like something small to us, but this was something that he had done that he knew was wrong, that he had been keeping in the dark. This was something that was noticeably keeping him from being all that God had made him to be. You could see it. Anyone who knew him knew something was wrong. And as he confessed, I was able to tell him that he was forgiven and that part of growing up is not hiding our mistakes, but admitting our mistakes and then learning and growing through them. And I got to watch this student experience immediate and instant freedom. There was still some consequences that he would have to deal with, such as telling his parents. I'll find out later this week how that went. Uh, but after this, uh, you could see that he was beginning to be restored. But this could never have happened if he had kept this in the darkness. Because here's what happens when we keep things in darkness. These things have power over us. Shame and guilt, they are a weight that we carry. But the beauty of the gospel is that we can bring those things to light and we can be healed, we can be restored, and we can be set free. But once again, this cannot happen if we keep these things in darkness. In verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, for this leads to debauchery. This is something that we have seen in humanity since the beginning of time, and that is we will use anything we can to escape pain. We have created ways to escape our pain, even though these ways are always temporary. Think of alcohol, sex, drugs, you name it, humanity has used it to try and escape our own pain. But the promise of the gospel is this, is that Jesus will be with us in the midst of our pain so that we can go through it, we can grow and we can be healed of it. This temporary will not be, or this won't be a temporary fix, as all these other things are, but it will be a transformation. It won't be a temporary fix, but a transformation. We don't have to run around trying to find an escape for our pain because we have the healer who is with us in the midst of our pain. And that is something that we can be thankful for. And then Paul ends this section with an encouragement. 
In verse 18, it says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we close today, let's remember these things. We were created to be a people with an attitude of gratitude. No matter where we find ourselves, if we are followers of Jesus, we are a part of God's family and he loves us fiercely and unconditionally. And we have a healer who promises to be with us in the midst of our pain so that we can grow and we can be redeemed. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now and we just want to say thank you. We thank you uh, for all the blessings that you have given us. And most of all, Lord, we want to say thank you so much for the gift of your son Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. God, I pray as we, as we leave here, would we be a people that are thankful? Would we remember that we are a part of your family and being thankful is what marks us as part of your family? We love you and we pray these things in your son's name. And everybody said, amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.